You know, all managers lose their minds when it comes to October baseball, but I am sick and tired of seeing Dave Roberts throw away his super team year after year with his ridiculous overmanagement of his pitching staff in bullpen. This has been inspired by his most recent weird thing when he brought Julio Urias in to pitch in relief in Game 2 and then still used him for his scheduled start in Game 4. He justified this by saying that Urias would have thrown a bullpen session anyway because Game 2 was his throw day, but that doesn't make any sense. Baseball players are the ultimate creatures of habit. They've tried to make like those behind-the-scenes documentaries about baseball players the same way they do like Open Gym with the Raptors, but it doesn't work because they're so boring because they do the exact same thing every single day. And you know who's the ultimate creature of habit even among baseball players? Starting pitchers. The fact that you would mess with their routine when the games are the most important is ridiculous. And sure, the Dodgers have basically zero left-handed pitchers. And sure, I get the argument of using your best pitchers in your best spots. But your best pitchers are not always going to perform their best if you don't set them up for success. Especially starters. And your job as a manager, your job, Dave Roberts, is to set your players up for success. And you are not doing that. Throwing a high-stress inning of National League Championship Series baseball is not the same as throwing a bullpen session as part of your five-day rotation. It's Robert's job to set up his players to do their best, and he does not do that. I'm, I'm a forward-thinking guy, especially in baseball terms. I like the idea of analytics, and I'm even open to the idea of an opener. But Julio Urias came out, and he got lit up in Game 4, especially in the first couple innings because he did not look sharp. And it's very plausible to me that it's because his routine was entirely thrown off when he had to throw an inning of live ball two days earlier. And he also gave up the lead in game two, cost them game two. So in short, dance with the person who brought you there. Don't mess around. You won 106 games. Why are you trying to change it now just because it's the playoffs? Guess what? You won. You won with your starting rotation. You won with your bullpen. Keep winning. It's not that hard. He overcomplicates it every year. He's the worst defender. And the Braves, who actually treat their starting rotation and bullpen pretty traditionally, they tend to win. And they're beating the Dodgers right now. So in short, Dave Roberts, get your act together. I'm fed up. Dave Roberts, you're on notice. And listener, you're on notice. It's time for another episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. scintillating episode of high floor low ceiling i gotta look from a a guest griffin we have a guest today he's not going to be on mic he will exclusively chime in from the distance uh we have clem from the warm grill podcast clem your mic is not on but say hello hello <laughs> yes we have clem from 30 feet away which is my favorite <laughs> version of clem i have to say i've heard of cleo from five to seven the famous french film but clem from 30 feet away i'm hey. not I'm, a, I'm in a canyon, actually. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, Clem hosts a base, a fantastic baseball podcast called The Warm Grill. Uh, we've already talked about all of our baseball for today, so I don't think Clem will have much to say going forward, but he's here just in case. 
Yeah. You guys should call this episode even lower floor. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Really? Uh, you're, you're, you are truly like the heckler of our podcast. <laughs> He's like the old men from the yeah, Muppets. Yeah. <laughs> right down to not having a microphone in front of you. But Griffin, uh, it's it's been a busy week for sports, as it often is around this time. Uh, we saw the return of the Toronto Raptors to our beloved hardwood floor on, uh, what was that, Tuesday? Yeah. Did you watch that game? No, it was Wednesday. Sure. Um, but yes, I did. Well, I watched the first quarter and then the fourth quarter. Um, and the introduction, of course. It was good to see everyone back. The boys are home. Uh, the team is bad. But you know what? That doesn't matter on night one. Night one, you're just happy to be back. Yeah, I mean, we will, we'll talk about the Raptors shortly. Um, another piece of little NBA news. The NBA 75 list, I believe, is now complete. I believe you had a bone to pick with a gentleman on Twitter who is uh, is out, outpacing you. Yeah, well, I tweet out that Dwight Howard should have gotten Anthony Davis's spot as and Tony Parker should have gotten Damian Lillard's spot. As far as I know, own the first person to ha- come to that opinion that Dwight Howard was snubbed. And then some other guy tweets out basically the same thing. He gets 11,000 likes. I get two likes for the same tweet. So that's not fair. Uh, Twitter is not a meritocracy. And also, Clay Thompson... Shut the hell up. You shouldn't have been on the team anyway. What are you complaining about? No, he's top 75. No, he's my, not. He is. Um, don't worry about that. Uh, <laughs> my my question is, why is Anthony Davis, and this isn't one of our planned segments, but I want to talk about it because we were talking about it before the record. Why is Anthony Davis the person who is like the punching bag for like this guy's on the list? Like if you're talking about like someone who is not on the list and you're taking people off, Anthony Davis is far from the first person I would take off. I think it's just because he hasn't been in the league long enough. Like, he was drafted in 2012. He's only played, like, what, nine seasons? Something That's, like that. But I mean, I like, think that for the list, I was talking about this with my father last night. Show it to my father. I think the criteria has to be if you retired today, uh-huh. are you one of the top 75 players? And I don't think he played long enough to do that. He's never won an MVP. His basketball reference page isn't there, opening for me right now. There are many players, I will say, who have not won an MVP. No, but I'm list. saying for the for the young, like the active players that were on the list, I'm pretty sure the only ones who were active and on the list and had never made an MVP were Anthony Davis and Damian Lillard, right? I think that's correct. Or Chris Paul, too. But Chris Paul is obviously yeah, a member Chris of Paul the list. Chris Paul has the 2008 MVP, so it doesn't matter. That's a story for another day, though. I should have to arrange about that. Um but yeah, I mean, like, I mean, it's like the thing is to say, like, to have this argument about the list, it always feels like it's an insult to say, oh, you didn't deserve to be on the list. It's not an insult. This is the top, like, 75 players of all time. There are going to be amazing, amazing players who do not make the list. Like, it's not a slight to Anthony Davis to say that he hasn't been in the league long enough to be on the list. I'm not saying he's not a great player. Obviously, he is. And on the day he retires, he'll absolutely deserve to be on the list. But I don't think he's done enough yet to deserve it on October 22nd, 2021. So what? So what's your opinion on Dave Bing? What do you think about him, and why, why does he merit inclusion over Anthony Davis? I'll just quickly Google <laughs> Dave Bing. I will tell you, the numbers will not look favorable to you. Well, basketball is not played in a box score, luckily. Well, um, what it, how many championships has Dave Bing won, I ask you? Uh, championships are a team accomplishment. <laughs> Dave Bing is a Hall of Famer. He's a seven-time All-Star. <laughs> he was an All-Star MVP, a Rookie of the Year, a scoring champion, 20-point-per-game uh, score, two 
There were four rebounds a game, six assists. You <laughs> can't you can't argue with the untouchable legacy of Dave Bing in his twelve career seasons. I mean, I think oh, twelve career seasons. That's crazy. That's at least three more than Anthony Davis. I mean, possibly less. We haven't done the count. <laughs> Okay, I, I was able to backdoor my way into Anthony Davis's basketball reference page. Uh, Dave Bing played 400 more games than Anthony Davis for his career. And was probably 30% as valuable. Anthony Davis has eight seasons of where he averaged 25 and 10 and like two and a half blocks. What is what is the case for a guy that, like, is, is that not enough of a body of work? for Like, he needs to have like five more seasons where he averages like 13 and 7 on, and like comes off the bench for you to add it like Dwight Howard five years ago has Dwight Howard done anything in the last five years to advance his legacy that makes you think like oh well like now Dwight Howard has played enough years that we can put him on this list no but I mean Dwight Howard's 10 first 10 seasons were better than Anthony Davis's first 10 seasons I think that's very debatable Clem has a chime in it's called 75 greatest players not 75 greatest careers well, I, well, I personally uh, would not make a distinction there. By um, that logic, let's throw Cade Cunningham on there because he might be really good one day. <laughs> That's crazy. Um, yeah, I, I do. I agree that there is a case for... <laughs> That's another chime in. Sorry, Chris. I'm just saying it's relevant to the whole nine-season career situation that you guys are kind of debating right now. Yeah, but I do think that there is I, – I fully support the idea that there is going to be some level of historical – like I, I think that things like all-star selections matter because if you were really making a list of the 75 best NBA players ever, they would almost exclusively be from probably the, the mid-90s forward, wouldn't you say, Griffin? Oh, yeah, just in terms of how sports evolve. Players yeah, exactly. now are better. They put up better numbers. The game has more offense. Yeah, so so I do put some stock in the idea that it's like it's the seventy five greatest players. Your reward, like an MVP from the nineteen sixties, at the end of the day, is going to be considered the same as an MVP from the twenty tens, which like is probably not legitimate when you think of how many good players there are. Like, do you think Luka Doncic would be finishing like fourth? Well, maybe he would, but that's the thing because like there's so much that we don't know, and there's so much historical context that goes into it. But um, yeah, I I just think that. There is some level of that there, but I think if you look at Anthony Davis's career, there's nothing to suggest that he hasn't like accrued a body of work that is deserving of one of those positions, in my opinion. Fair. What do you think about Dame Lillard? Because we got to get Dwight on the list somehow. It's ridiculous that Dwight Howard is not on the list. So who are you taking off? I I mean like there are many players who no one. I mean maybe some of the people who made the list have seen them play, but nobody who is commenting on Twitter about the list has seen Dolph Shays play, has seen Bill Sharman play, has seen like any of these guys. And I think ultimately most of these guys, like Dave, we were talking about Dave DeBusher before the podcast even started. And if you're going to remove a guy, I think that he is a prime candidate. Like he won two championships for the Knicks, but it's like, he was an eight time all-star and one time all NBA. Like, is that better than Anthony Davis being, an eight-time All-Star and four-time first-team All-NBA in the 2010s, and he has a championship? Probably not. All right, maybe you've convinced me on Anthony Davis. Dame should not be on there. Also, Dave Bing played before the three-point line, so that probably would have influenced his statistics, probably would have had better numbers if he had played with the three-point line. But the greater players, like, like a, I mean, like, it's hard because Jerry West and Oscar Robertson are, like, probably one of the 25 best players of all time. But 
if you're going to make a, like, there are guys who transcend their era. And so there are, I'm less liable to give guys a pass because of the era they played in. And I mean, like that, there are multiple ways to look at that. Like, I mean, like Bill Russell would not have been as effective in pretty much any other era other than the sixties, but he also transcended the era he was in when he was in that era, if that makes sense. You're saying Bill Russell should not have been on the NBA 75th team? I don't think he's one of the 75 best players to ever play in the NBA. I mean, like... In terms of, like, pure in-a-lab talent? Yeah, well, yeah, and, like, just, like, ability to play basketball. Like The man won 11 consecutive championships. And he probably could not hit a jumper from, like, 18 feet. (laughs) Uh, And he was, like, 6'9". But, like, that's the thing is, like, he played in the era he played in, and he was a dominant force in the era he played in. Like, if you can't, if you played in the 60s and you couldn't even dominate in the 60s when, like, you kind of had everything going for you, like, sure, there was no three-point line. But in many respects, if you were, like... This guy never averaged less than 18 rebounds for a season. No, I'm I'm back on Dave Bing now, not Bill Russell. Like, but it's also, like... That would have been a ridiculous take. (laughs) But it's also, like, Bill Russell, like, he is, like considered by many to be like probably the best locker room guy ever played, like one of the great leaders in the nba history it's like we have no idea even players today we have no idea how good they are as leaders but then you're talking about a player who played 50 years ago like it's literally just guys who are like one time i was on the bus and bill was just sitting in the back and he was yucking it up and sam jones was slapping his knee he was laughing so hard and that was bill baby <laughs> Like, that's the guy who, like, is attesting to Bill Russell's leadership. And that's literally all we have to go on to be like, yeah, this guy's intangibles were off the charts. I can't believe this conversation has somehow spun out into Chris being, Bill Russell was actually bad. (laughs) Chris is the only one who has cracked this code that one of the greatest players of all time actually sucked. Yes, we have a chime in from the peanut gallery. I heard Bill Russell's stories were great on the bus. (laughs) Clem was there. Uh, he certainly has a 1960s NBA player's mustache. Uh, no, but, but I mean, like, that's I'm, my point is not that Bill Russell was not great. My point is that I don't know what my point is exactly, but. Is your point that Bill Russell's story sucks? <laughs> no. Uh, I do need a lower rate of chimes. <laughs> um, no, but my point is that, like, that if you're going, like, like I said, if you're going to be, if you're going to play in the 1960s, and I hope that you do, then, like, you should be a Bill Russell type of player who, like, it's, like, his, and or a Wilt Chamberlain, but it's, like, his achievements are so insane that, like, even when you adjust, that's, that's what I think it is. I think there's a handicap. So I think there's a 1960s handicap, and so even if you're, like, everything from the 1960s is 50% as valuable than something in the 2010s, well, it's, like, cut Bill Russell's championships in half, and he still has more championships than anyone else cut Wilt Chamberlain's points per game in half and he was still averaging 25 points a game I think that is my point that like that I can agree with that in the 60s for those guys who were physical freaks for their time it was easier in a less competitive NBA than it is for people now so I will give that to you that from the early era of the NBA you got to take some of those numbers with a grain of salt while still acknowledging that these people made the game what it is today and definitely I mean, that comes back when we discussed this a few weeks ago. Is this the best 75 players of all time, or is it the telling the story of the first 75 years of the NBA in 75 players? I think that's up to the individual voter. I like to lean towards it more that way. You're, we're talking about 75 years of NBA history. So, yeah, Bill Russell, maybe 
if you plucked him out and put him in today, would not have won 11 straight championships or whatever you want. I think it was nine straight 11 total. Uh, that's right. But he's may, he's one of the five most important figures in NBA history, if not yeah. like two. Yeah, it's, it's a question of greatest versus best. And also on the flip side of that, I think that we have, like we were talking about with Anthony Davis, we have a tendency to underrate players who are playing right now, which sounds insane because the big thing in sports is recency bias. But I think like people are always reticent to crown someone in, in a broader historical context before their career is finished. But it's like Anthony Davis, like he, it's probably, unless like they like someone kills someone and I'm not accusing Anthony Davis of murder, but unless like someone does something drastically insane like that, their, their legacy is only going to be enhanced, not diminished. So even if you're judging it on the basis of what someone has already accomplished, like if you take an Anthony Davis, like if you were looking at a guy who, you know, w- played for three seasons and then had eight seasons where he averaged 25 points and 10 rebounds over that eight seasons, and then he had four more seasons after that where he didn't do anything of note, you would look at that career. And, the, and that guy played in like the 1980s and he won one championship as the second best player on a championship team. And was just and like I mean like it's like Kevin McHale or something like he's would you not say that Anthony Davis his body of work is just as strong as Kevin McHale's probably yeah and like I mean Kevin McHale has three championships not one but like ultimately you're looking at you know you're looking at a guy who has eight years and like even if usually when we talk about the greatness of a player we're looking at that like middle chunk of their career and for Anthony Davis it started in like his second season because he's really really good. And, but like when we look back on Anthony Davis as a player, I think probably like 2013 to 2023 is pretty much the extent of what we will be looking at when we're like, how good was Anthony Davis? We won't be looking at like he w- he's like, and I don't know, because we talked about this the other week too. Like how important is it if Anthony Davis is like fourth all time on the career rebounding list or whatever? I think that's important. I think that holds weight. Yeah, it's a I it's hard because I I do think it matters because I do tend to put stock in the career accolades like we were talking about like that enhances it might not be relevant to how good a player was Carmelo Anthony but it does have something to do with how great a player is if that makes sense. I track that. I think the underrating current players is a uh, really interesting discussion to have every year when it comes time to vote for Cooperstown in particular in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So we'll we'll come back to that in a couple months. If only uh, maybe we'll bring Clem back with a proper mic this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's a teaser for a future episode. Chris, a lot happened around the NBA. We've sort of had one game per team. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the Warriors have played two. <laughs> they're they're the, the one team who has a who is either 2-0 or 0-2. Everyone else is still in the ones. Yeah, well, I mean, why don't we just sort of whip around the league a little bit Mm -hmm. here. Uh, Let's start off in our hometown of Toronto. Raptors, I mean, even with Pascal Siakam, this team was going to struggle to score, but without Pascal Siakam, oof. Yeah, I I think you've hit on the big thing, which is something that I really didn't see that many people talking about after that game because... It was a very ugly game. The Raptors scored 83 points. Their half-court offense was really bad. Like, they shot less than, like, 30% from the field, like, 20% from three. Like, truly putrid shooting numbers. But I think people are forgetting that the best player on the team is not not in the lineup right now. And that that does change things. But 
I think the half-court offense is really going to struggle until he gets back. For sure. And, like, obviously they're not all, like, everyone had a bad shooting night in the first game of the season. That's not going to happen every time. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they struggled to generate good half-court looks. And even when Pascal comes back, he's best. He's a, he's at his best in transition. He's not necessarily the most developed half-court offense generator. So that's a big area of concern for this team. Uh, there were a couple things I liked, though. Obviously, the young guys, Scotty Barnes, Delano Banton, they they looked good. Yeah, and Banton uh, Banton was the big story from the game. You know, like, he basically played the backup point guard's minutes. He kind of stole Malachi Flynn's minutes. Malachi Flynn was a DNPCD, yeah, which that was, was crazy. Very surprising. Um, but yeah, I mean, like... His I, dad is going to be pissed. <laughs> sure. Uh, but, but I think, like, that's something that Jack Armstrong mentioned it on the broadcast, that, like... If you're playing this style that the Raptors are trying to play, where they're running a lot in transition, it's a very up-tempo style, then you're going to need to dig deep into your bench. Like, you need Bantons and Champagnies and Yudas. Like, you need those kind of players because, like, you, you're going to need people who can bring energy every night. And if Banton is the guy who can bring energy, like, I mean, like, it's hard to project based on one game. I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in, in the first game. For the whole season but it's also like what he did did feel very replicable other than the three-pointer at the end of the quarter which was crazy um but like what he has which is like size vision and he's very slithery like yeah i mean i would i was like clipping plays uh for raptors public so i, I saw like the plays a, a few more times than probably most people did but like there's one play where he gets the rebound, he dribbles around a guy, takes it coast to coast, and then like finishes it himself, where it's like why like he maybe he's not going to have a highlight play like that every night, but why can't he play like that every night when he is essentially like I don't know, is he six seven, six eight point guard basically? Yeah, yeah, good energy guy. I was very happy with what we saw from him. And also you mentioned Utah Watanabe. I just want to go back. Longer hair this year. Mm-hmm. He's a good I looking mean, young man. He's an attractive guy. He's a handsome fella. We yeah. can we can do our all NBA handsome rankings oh, another time. I don't know. That's t- I mean that's tough competition. I don't know if Utah quite makes the list there. That's steep. I gotta take a deeper look into it. Wait, is it the seventy five best looking or seventy five greatest looking? <laughs> is it the seventy five? Is it the seventy five best looking or the seventy five most handsome? <laughs> right, and we gotta take into account like some of them are going to age and look differently afterwards. Is oh, this how they look peed. today? Because, I mean, Bill Russell looks great for his age. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's a lot of talk about Ben Wallace at the Hall of Fame. Did you see Ben Wallace? No, I didn't see Ben Wallace. Let me Google Ben Wallace. Yeah, you. I'll vamp while you pull that up. Yeah, I mean, the big thing is, I mean, this was the thing when we were talking about Scotty Barnes versus Jalen Suggs all the way back at the draft. Oh, I like the glasses. Mm -hmm. The Raptors. (laughs) All right, did you vamp enough? The Raptor. Well, I want to just keep talking if that's okay with oh, you. Fine. But the Raptors' big weakness last year, and I think they will continue this year, is they don't really have a player that can break down a defense off the dribble, that can create dribble penetration. I mean, like, you would hope that Goran Dragic could be that player because that has been his game historically. But, like, he, he was showing his age a little. He had some good sequences, but I think it'll be tough to sort of lean on him for a major role. Um, but yeah. yeah, I mean, the, the I mean, one it's supposed to be Fred, right? Who can mostly do that, but it's tough because he's small. And yeah, I, I ultimately rugged. Yeah, and he's more of a sh- an outside shooter. I think, like, I don't ultimately think that that's like purely his game. Maybe playing in a pick and roll with uh, 
with a good big man, but the Raptors don't really have any great big men. I mean, Precious Chua was okay. I, I liked what we saw from him. It took a little while to get going, and then... Yeah, he had he had some missed alley-oops. Like, he had some easy shots that should have gone down, which I think goes back to the idea that, like, you can't take a ton of stock out of how badly the Raptors shot because, like, they, I, I think that they did struggle to create good looks a lot, but I also think they had some good looks that just did not go down. Uh, and, I mean, I think we also saw OG and Anobi try and become that break a guy down mm-hmm. off the dribble, generate a little instant offense type of thing, and he shot 3 of 17. Yeah, so he was some work to do. Yeah, he was actually the guy that I wanted to bring up because despite like what you said, he he shot terribly. He sometimes looked uncomfortable, sort of like shooting. Like he he tried to sort of pull up like uh, pull out a step back mid range jumper, that kind of thing. But overall, I was quite impressed by Ojanovi actually, despite the fact that he had a terrible game. Um, like there's there's one specific play that really stuck out to me where. He broke down his defender off the dribble. He beat the help defender. He got to the rim and like had a layup and then got blocked by Daniel Gafford, which I think is like very illustrative of the kind of night the Raptors had where it seemed like even if they did something well, they couldn't capitalize on it. But I think OG, like he was a prime example of that. I, I loved what I saw from him in terms of ball handling. I think he looks way more smooth, just like dribbling the ball, like having the ball in his hand, moving with the ball. And so I think that if those shots, you know, if they, if they even fall at like a 30% higher rate or whatever, then like that drastically changes the kind of game he has. And maybe we're talking about like, oh, this is like the OG renaissance that a lot of people were expecting before the season. Yeah. Speaking of uh, mid-sized elite defenders, Chris, our first ever episode started with you going on a Ben Simmons rant. There have been a lot of updates since then. It seems like things might get better for a minute there. He showed up because the Sixers said you won't get any of your money. And it's like, okay, maybe we can work to work this out. And then he practiced in sweatpants with his phone in his pocket. Um, And then Doc Rivers suspended him. And now Daryl Morey's saying it could take four years to resolve this. So things looked like they could get better for a minute there. Now they're very, very bad. Uh, Morey also saying last night that he refuses to move Simmons for role players. He's going to stick to his guns and wait for someone to offer him a star. I just want to know before we get into a break here, what would you do if you were Daryl Morey? Would you cut bait or would you stick to your guns? Do you think this is the right move? Yeah, uh, I I do have some thoughts about this because this is like a continually crazy situation. The more that the situation goes on, the less I wouldn't say, but that my sympathy for Ben Simmons increases, but my sympathy for the Sixers decreases. Like on one hand they are sort of trying to be the team that takes a stand and is saying like, we will not be a Anthony Davis team. We will not be a James Harden team. We will not be hamstrung by the demands of our star player. But at the same time, you're putting yourself in such a bad situation. You're projecting dysfunction. You're projecting to agents potentially for free agents that like we have trouble working with our star players. We don't like (laughs) acquiesce to our star players is the short of it. And you know, you can, say that that maybe that's a good thing ultimately but if you're if I'm a star player then I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing in my mind um yeah I mean from Darren Morey's perspective I think at this point you know with the season now having just started I think that you kind of have to stick with what you have because by by this point in the season i.e the beginning of it um I think most teams have sort of 
just sort of shift around their club as much as you can. Uh, <laughs> uh, I think by Clem this palms to the sky. Can't believe he's been persecuted like this. I'm sorry, not everyone else was in a cave. It's it's hard <laughs> moving around in here. There's barely any lights on. <laughs> I stumbled into something. There are, there are some lights on, though, in the caves that you're suggesting. Uh, Clem famously once wore a headlamp to a camping trip that I was on and then lost it, and that was a big debacle. Derailed the entire evening bit as of a, he searched for that headlamp. Bit of a high floor, low ceiling stories. But from Mori's perspective, I think that once you're at this point in the season, either teams have talked themselves into their roster being good, you know, whether that's a playoff contender, whether that's a championship contender, or they've sort of made peace with their roster to some extent. Like if you, if you're a bad team, you've probably accepted that you're going to be a bad team at this point, And you're probably not going to be like particularly desperate to get better, especially when you don't know how the season is going to look yet. So I think for Maury right now is like the worst possible time to trade Ben Simmons. The best possible time would have been in the summer, but I think the second best time is a couple months into the season or even, you know, I don't think this will drag it to the trade deadline, but if he waits six to eight weeks, there's going to be a team that is five games below where they were expecting. And maybe we're a team that was in like, like a Sacramento Kings where they were in the mix for Ben Simmons and then they bowed out. And now they're maybe back into it because they want to try and salvage a season. And so I think that that probably is, is the way that he's going to go and is probably the way that I would go. But uh, again, you're not going to get the return that you would have had if you traded him in the summer. So why didn't you just trade him in the summer? Right. And for me, it's like, I don't think Ben Simmons ever plays another game for the Philadelphia 76ers. He's not going to play while this is all going on. So his value is not going to go up. But Daryl Morey says he refuses to take role players. What team out there is willing to trade a star, but also wants Ben Simmons? Like, who is at has that one star player, but also... So is willing to give up a star player. They don't think they're a championship contender, but also is like, yes, we need Ben Simmons right now. That team does not exist. Well, that player does not exist. The Indiana Pacers. Sabonis? Yeah, I think. Well, I mean, I think that if and again, this gets back to they want to see how their season shakes out. But that's a team where they have a new coach. They have a roster that's been together for a long time and has shown some serious flaws. And I think is a good roster. We talked. I think we talked about them last week or two weeks ago and I, I like them probably more than most people but that is a team that I think if they underperform they have a they have a lot of pieces they just extended Malcolm Brogdon so they can't trade him this year but they do have Sabonis I mean obviously Miles Turner maybe is not an attractive piece for the 76ers but they have uh they have TJ Warren like they have they have a pretty robust roster so you know you can call those guys role players ultimately but if he was trying to make a move then maybe that's the kind of move you make where you're getting like two or three starters in exchange for a star yeah that's the move that maury says he doesn't want to make but uh who knows he might cave i guess i guess it depends on whether uh clem puts his finger up because he heard the word cave uh i guess it depends on whether you distinguish between starters and role players or if you're distinguishing between stars and role players because I, I agree that you. I don't think you're going to get a star back for Ben Simmons, but I think that you can get enough to make up Ben Simmons in the aggregate, especially for Philadelphia, okay, who, is, who is a team that has a star player already and could probably serve to retool their roster a little to make it a little bit more centered around Ben Simmons. I mean, we're not, or Joel Embiid, rather. 
we were just talking about Dwight Howard, and that's a player who, without the most talented roster in the league, had a perfectly constructed roster for his style and a very well-coached team and ultimately made the finals with probably a less talented roster than you might expect because he had a very well-suited roster. And I think that's maybe the direction they should be looking. Very good points coming from Chris. It does seem like either way, the Philadelphia 76ers are a miserable place to be right now. And we are going to be miserable while we take a short break because we're not creating new content while we're on a break. But we'll be right back with more, maybe a little bit of puck talk on high floor, low ceiling. I've heard of plug walk, but puck talk? Stop. And welcome back to high floor, low ceiling. I'm doing robot arms, Ooh, a little, to be clear. A little killer robot vibe for today's funny voice. Interesting that the... you see me as a killer. Well, it's Halloween's coming up. Oh, speaking of, that's a great tease for our upcoming segment. Yeah. It's also uh, great to be back in the studio. We recorded that last episode over Zoom, but it just doesn't smell the same when we do it over Zoom. It's true. You can't smell me, sadly. Uh, but no, I agree. I mean, <laughs> no, I, I'm not going to talk about how much I enjoyed our previous segment, but I did enjoy it, and I hope you enjoyed it too, because we have another one coming your way. Griffin. Another segment? Griffin, you want to talk about what I what I heard you describe earlier today as the sport I like way more than all the other ones and actually know the most about, the National Hockey League. I mean, I could never pick a favorite sport. It's like picking a favorite child since I did invent all sports. No, that's a joke for legal purposes. But I do love the National Hockey League, and it's been back for about a week. Chris, I thought we could play our favorite game. It's another callback to episode one of High Floor, Low Ceiling. We're now recording episode four, so I think we've gone far enough to repeat material. <laughs> uh, we're going to play Real or Fake. We, of My. course, famously played this with undefeated NFL teams. And I believe we were right about all of them. Have not revisited, but I can only assume we were right. Uh, we, we really should go back to those uh, in a couple weeks, maybe. But yeah. But uh, but yes, I'm I love real or fake. The NHL, you know, maybe four games of the NHL is a little less uh, revealing than four games of the NFL. But that will only make our takes that much hotter. Exactly. And you know, in the NFL version, we only did the undefeated teams. This team, this time, I want to give us a couple bad teams as well. And mm-hmm. I wanted to start us off with the New York Islanders. They have just three points in their first four games, and this famously strong defensive team has allowed 15 goals in four games. Chris, is this fake and you're fine, or are you worried about the New York Islanders? Um, it's, hard. it's hard with the New York Islanders. They are a team that I have a tendency to not believe in them to some extent. I, I, I think sometimes teams that are just like sort of solid top to bottom can almost go a little underrated. But then other times that sort of lack of star talent does reveal itself a little, um, especially when it seems like the defense is failing, which is what has happened for the Islanders. You know, they they like to force those low-quality chances. Their defense has been really bad, very porous, I would say. Um, ultimately, you know, you fall back on they're a, a really, like, top-to-bottom solid team. They're a well-coached team. They're they're a stout team, for whatever that that's worth. So I think ultimately... They're better than three points in four games, but they maybe uh, they maybe are, are not going to be as good as people expected of them this year. Is what I think might happen. So, would you call this real? I would say no. I'm going to say that this is fake only because three points in four games is very low. 
and I don't think they that they are that level of bad. But I do think that this is this is more of a signifier than it is an aberration. All right, a lot of fancy words from Chris over there. The game is called Real or Fake, not Signifier or Aberration. <laughs> That's a good segment, though. You know what? Yeah, maybe we'll uh, maybe we'll bring that back. NBA in a couple weeks. All right, and on the other side of the island, wait, we have a chime in from the cave. This podcast lacks nuance. <laughs> well, we have often said that we do not hedge there our bets. There is no hedging in the high floor, low ceiling studio. We go we one only, way or the other. We only use words like signifier or aberration, the, the least hedgy words imaginable. <laughs> uh, but Griffin, yes, I believe you wanted to take us uh, Let- across, across the pond to jolly old Manhattan. Yeah, let's keep it in New York. Yeah. None of that fancy British talk. New hey, York, baby. I'm skating here. Hey, yo. Chris, the New York Rangers. They're 3-1-1 <laughs> one one in the first five. <laughs> what my New York is... accent is just me keeping my mouth shut. <laughs> Why not talk? Are you at the dentist? <laughs> no, I'm from New York. No, I'm under the f- freaking Brooklyn Bridge. <laughs> I got my jaw wired shot because I got mugged because I live in New York. Yeah, I, I tripped when I was climbing down the Statue of Liberty over here. New York. Speaking <laughs> of the Statue of Liberty, the Rangers, the 3 one and one they got the statue on one of their jerseys. Their this third is... jersey. Thoy Joyzy. <laughs> New Jersey. That's is so no, bad. No, we're not covering the devils today. Okay, sorry, sorry, Chris, sorry, sorry. Let's get deadly serious here. Okay, cave person, you cannot mouth <laughs> this, is, this podcast is strictly of audio medium. We cannot read your lips. But yes, the Rangers, 3-1-1. One, one. Mm-hmm. That's a good record. Maybe a little better than some people expected. Is it for real? Yeah, I mean, this is what I will say about the Rangers. I thought that they were a, a, a promising team last season. Maybe I have written here that they were a better team than what they showed, and I don't think I would actually go that far. But I think that when you looked at the pieces they have, especially, you know, their top level talent, like, I mean, Adam Fox was a big revelation for them last season. They have like, you know, they have Lafreniere, they have Artemi Panarin, like they are, they do have a Capo really- Capo Yeah, he's actually injured right now. Well, but- I know, but <laughs> I had to chime in with a Capo Caco reference. Sure. Uh, but they, they do have a lot of top line talent. I think that they're almost, it seemed like the Panarin signing was the big one for me that I think that it was them embracing the fact that they like they sort of realize they play in New York and that a little bit that they can play like the Yankees that they can be in the mix for big name free agents and stuff like that so I did like the moves that they've been making over the past couple of years but ultimately like you know hockey I think hockey records can be misleading at least for me because when I see three one and one in my mind I'm like oh they're three and one but really that's just a fancy way of saying they're three and two and they picked up an extra point along the way. So, like, ultimately, they're they're basically a 500 team. And I think that being one game over 500 is not <laughs> – yes, mathematically, Clem, they have played five games. They cannot be 500. You're right. But I think ultimately that, like, you know, them being one game over or one game under 500 is not too far out of how people would have seen them this year. To me, I'm saying absolutely real. It's the Jets, baby. They're going to win the Stanley Cup. The anyway, Jets. Or, no, sorry. New York Jets. That That's another but team in New York. A, but the Rangers are going to win the Stanley Cup. Real. That's a, there is a New York Joe. That's there's a, a team called the Jets also, I will say. Yeah. Uh, but 
you know what? Let's talk about one of those prairie Canadian teams. Maybe not prairie as much as, I don't know, what happens in Alberta. Living but we're talking Oilers. Edmonton Oilers looking good. 3-0. and Is this the team that was promised? Is this real from the Edmonton Oilers? Yeah, I mean, to, to bring it back to a basketball analogy. As I, we tend to do. Yes. Uh, I think the Oilers are, are a Utah Jazz, Griffin, or a, a Philadelphia 76ers, where at this point, they can do whatever they want in the regular season. They had a great regular season. What was it? Five years ago now. They've had a very up and down last few years. They have sort of seemingly been on an upward trend the last three years or so. But at this point, they can do whatever they want in the regular season. And I, I need to see it in the playoffs before I have put any stock at all into what they do in the regular season. They have one playoff series win in the McDavid era. They, I mean, I think people, a lot of people expected them to be better than they were in the playoffs last year. And so for now, until we, uh, again, it's, it's hard to say, hold off on the real or fake for another 80 games and then I can <laughs> give you my decision. But until they show something when in like the important games, that's until then I have to reserve my judgment. Yeah. I mean, the Oilers definitely people wanted them to be better than they were last year when they got swept in the first round it's hard to imagine being much worse but I do like what I've seen from the Oilers so far this year and it's mainly because of the secondary scoring like Zach Hyman has three goals already Mm -hmm. he's second on the team Ryan Nugent Hopkins has six assists we know that they have the best player in the league that's a given at this point but the secondary depth support has shown up in a way that it hasn't and it has to keep showing up for sure but I love the Hyman signing for this year a couple years from down the line it'll be rough for them but this year it looks good and I think this could be the year that the Edmonton Oilers turn a corner I'm gonna call them real yeah I mean like you said the the secondary talent is always where things are gonna lie for them their secondary offensive talent has done well I mean like I actually quite like their defense Uh, a lot of them seem to be like they seem to be going all in on the on the Leafs cast off Infinity Stones to some extent, uh, with uh, with Tyson Berry and all that. But I I like the I like what they've put together in terms of actually having something to a roster rather than having one guy and kind of a bunch of trash around him. <laughs> yeah, always a better plan, especially when you get to keep that one guy. And finally, Chris, the undefeated Buffalo Sabers. Was Jack Eichel the problem all along? Have they gotten rid of their most talented player and become the best team in the league as a result? Yes! <laughs> oh, cave, caveman. Shouting all the way from Buffalo. Hey, what's a Buffalo accent? Uh, I don't know. These wings are hot! <laughs> yeah, they just preface it. It's sort of a, a verbal tick where they say, Hot wings! <laughs> How you doing? <laughs> beef on weck. Great sandwich that's a Buffalo delicacy. Highly recommend if you're ever in Buffalo. Get a beef on weck. Shout out to Smack Bomb P. Wet. You ever seen that YouTube video? Never mind. Nope. I'll go into this later. Um, oh, please do. I think that there is some... I think Bill Simmons calls it the Ewing theory, where you lose your best player, and it sort of causes the team around you to to gel and find some cohesion. I think that's definitely a possibility with Eichel. I mean, it's hard not to say as much sympathy as I have for a situation. He, was a, he is a distraction to some extent for that team. He does take up an outsized amount of attention in terms of like the media surrounding him, both when he was playing and now that he's not playing. Uh, that being said, I, I, I can't see how you call them real, even though 
I actually think their their underlying numbers. I was looking at the stats uh, earlier today, and they their underlying numbers are quite strong in terms of you know their expected goals generated and things like that. But it's just hard to <laughs> call the Buffalo Sabers real. I mean, again, like we said when we were talking about the NFL teams, real is a matter of relativity, and so you know, are they real in so far as they're not the worst team in the NHL this season, as I think a lot of people expected them to be. That's definitely a possibility. Are they going to be anywhere close to a playoff push? I see. I, I do not foresee that being the case. Yeah, I mean, I know that we don't hedge on the podcast. This is a no-hedge zone. But I am generally a firm believer that things in sports regress to the mean. Good players are good. Bad players are bad. Don't overreact. And the Buffalo Sabres are a bad team. That's just the long and short of it. They're not good. They're not going to be good. They're playing the toughest division in the NHL. Uh, this is as fake as the, I don't want to say Sasquatch, because Sasquatch is real, but um, as fake as the Loch Ness Monster. Wow, don't want the Loch Ness Monster. Where's your proof? <laughs> that it's fake? I don't think you can prove anything. The onus is fake. on you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think, I think over <laughs> Strong the... Strong legal <laughs> argument coming from the cave. Uh, I think over the course of 82 games, a lot of times that, like, sometimes you can sort of have a full season before you regress to the mean. I mean, you know, not not to not to poop on the Knicks again, but like if you look at the Knicks last season, I think that's a good example of a team that sort of you kept waiting for the wheels to fall off and they never did. And then and maybe that'll happen this season, but I hey, think they won and no baby. They beat the Celtics. Knicks are winning the championship. That is just truly one of the most dreadful New York accents I've ever New heard. New York. The New uh, York Knickerbockers. <laughs> Sure, the Balkers, as I call them, um, but yeah, it so it's 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 possible. I think that they could have a full season where you know they're maybe flirting with five hundred. It's hard for me because I have to do points math with hockey, which is not something that comes naturally to me. But you know, where they're they're sort of a middle of the road team, I think that that is a possibility. But ultimately, you know roster talent does does matter to some extent even no matter how cohesive you are as a team agreed all right well that does it for our nhl segment but chris halloween is coming up today's october 22nd less than 10 days first of all do you have a costume picked out yet i'm not a huge costume person uh i i have a a lumpy body I'm, some would say, a grotesque monster already. Oh, I wouldn't go that far. <laughs> I wouldn't call you grotesque. Just a, just a, just a monster. Yeah, one of the cute monsters. Like, I'm like an all real monsters monster. Um, so I'm not a huge costume person, but, you know, maybe I'll go as a ghost. Ooh, very spooky. To me, my costumes are my accents. When I put them on, I become an entirely mm-hmm. different person. <laughs> See, who was that? That was I, New I York Joe. That was... That was Agent Smith from the Matrix franchise. Maybe. We yes. Chime in. Griffin, you're already annoying as. Uh... Oh, I gotta take that one again. <laughs> oh. This is... No, I, I wanted to come across as less mean. Actually. This is all staying in. Go ahead. Are you going as a method actor? <laughs> That's annoying. That was that was worth the wait. <laughs> yeah. But. Griffin, you're right. Halloween is just around the corner. Uh, it's it's an exciting time. We're actually, I think we have a Halloween segment possibly planned for next week, but I just couldn't wait. I cooked up a little Halloween segment for us today, and that is what, what I like to call sports scary stories. So I, I told this to you last night. 
we didn't write these down. I'm, I'm going to go off the dome because I feel like that's more in the spirit of a scary story. But we're going to tell each other scary stories and they will be linked to a, a sports moment, a player, a franchise, a what have you. And then we are going to tell these stories to each other and we will be forced to guess uh, what we what these stories are really about. I like this idea a lot. I am generally, I'm not that into scary stuff. I don't watch scary movies. Uh, when I was a kid at summer camp, they would always tell scary stories. I would get pretty scared. So I hope you didn't make yours too scary or else I might uh, have to leave the pod, but I think I can handle it. Have you ever seen Scary Movie? Scary Movie I have seen, but I think only the fourth one. Mm, that's a great one. Charlie Sheen briefly appears. Now that's a scary movie. Oh, am I right, folks? Let's go. Uh, Whatever happened to that guy? (laughs) We've had a high-profile falling out with the... uh, A catastrophic meltdown that captured the entire world. I've been in this cave for 15 years. I love two and a half men, though. Yeah. How's Angus doing? I hope that show ended with dignity. <laughs> um, but Griffin, I, I, I want you to go first. I, I need time to formulate my, my thoughts and my plots. So why don't you spook me with your story? All right. Well, Chris, tonight... Ooh. And me! <laughs> sure. Tonight I want to take you back to the days of the Old West. A Ooh. lone gunman who had traveled down from the north and had spent many years wandering the desert. He was well known for his bullet vision, the way that he could anticipate anything seemingly before it happened and do whatever it took to get out of the situation in the best way possible. He traveled from Arizona to Texas and back to Arizona, living life as an outlaw, garnering a reputation as one of the most feared and respected outlaws in all the world before he finally decided that he wanted more. But little did he know that pride comes before the fall. The man traveled west from his Arizona home that had treated him so well and looked to join a group of traveling outlaws, a super group of outlaws, if you will. This is very spooky so far, (laughs) I hope. Um, But along the way, something terrible happened. He suffered... A catastrophic injury when <laughs> this is. I'm trying to walk so the far, line. So far, this is Johnny Cash. Uh, so far, this is mostly sounding like a sports story. I will say, but I put it in the in the outlaw context. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He suffered a catastrophic <laughs> back injury that killed him. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. And when he finally arrived in L.A., not L.A. In a coffin. No. <laughs> He arrived as a ghost ah. of the outlaw that he once was, of the gunman, of the cowboy. And he met up with a bunch of other high-profile outlaws <laughs> who had traveled together to, in the hopes of being named the best group of outlaws in the entire country. <laughs> the entire National Country Association. Yes, the, uh, the media was quick to proclaim them the new super team of outlaws. But with this man, who would have been so important... Just a ghost. He had no way to hold his gun. He had no way to command their attack. And ultimately, the team fell apart. The outlaws began to squabble. There was infighting. There were near misses, duels to the death. And eventually, the ghost's love for the outlaw game dissipated. He gave up himself, you might say. Gave up the ghost. Yes, he 
His spirit evaporated, and this once great outlaw went out not with a bang that his outlawing career had deserved, but with a mere whimper as he faded into nothing. Is that the end? Well, it could be. <laughs> or he could return. Maybe he, maybe he went somewhere that would appreciate his outlaw talents more in a different context. Are you saying that he might have gone to Brooklyn? Huh? Uh, I'm feeling you're on to my spooky sports story. It, it took a while. I I was trying. I was like, Arizona, Arizona sports team. That really, that it does cut down on the possible <laughs> options for a while. I was not. I I did have a few dalliances like talking about coming from the north i was like is this austin matthews but that's the opposite he went from arizona up to the north is this russell westbrook that's not arizona that's oklahoma which is nearby but ultimately is not the same place but i believe i came to the correct conclusion but before i share my great answer we're going to come to the caveman who now looks like he doesn't want to speak anymore even though he raised a finger okay you're going to go after i guess that you are talking about the story, the ballad, of one Stephen Nash. That is exactly correct. The time that he joined the Los Angeles Lakers. Now this is going to be fun, claimed the Sports Illustrated cover. Mm-hmm. That's actually something I know. <laughs> wow, even Clem, our baseball cave guest, knew that one. So I'm glad that you guys were able to pick up on that one. I hope you were sufficiently spooked. Uh, was, by the story of a cowboy's a scary ghost story is the main thing i thought about i was just like oh i'm shivering <laughs> at the thought that a cowboy could try and be a better cowboy <laughs> well he was a ghost sure you know what's really scary is how competitive he is playing just friendly matches of soccer true <laughs> we do respect steve nash for his competitive draft <laughs> oh he's the, the caveman is raising his finger again <laughs> bit of a ye- bit of a deep youtube cut there <laughs> Clem, with the deep YouTube cut that Steve Nash does play soccer. I've heard of a PYT, but a DYC? Um. <laughs> All right, can we please get to your scary story, Chris? You, th- you think this episode is a little off the rails? Uh, okay. My... I don't know. You tell me. <laughs> that was Yogi Bear, <laughs> unmistakably. Yogi bear New York legend. Wow. Great save. Okay. My story is of a man. Or a woman, I suppose. An individual. A very wealthy individual. An individual who believed that anything could be had for the right price. Uh, his pursuit was to be the richest... Oh, I said he already, so I suppose it is a man at this point. His pursuit was to be the richest man the world has ever seen, with rings covering each one of his fingers. And in pursuit of that goal, he would throw his vast fortune around to, to anywhere he thought that he could seek value. And he would go to some of, the, some of the richest individuals on the planet or some of the most impoverished people on the planet. He didn't care. He would reach into their pockets. He would pluck away their most valuable possessions. And he would put them uh, right in his pocket. Uh, And this worked for a time, and for a brief period, for about one year, he was uh, recognized as the wealthiest and the most business-savvy individual in the world. But little did that man know that this vast collection that he had built 
was built on top of an ancient graveyard. Some people who were perhaps less culturally sensitive than I would suggest that it could be a Native American graveyard. <laughs> I'm not suggesting that, but it's been put out there is all I'm saying. And suddenly, one day, as the man was uh, you know, reviewing his vast collection, he had recently had a great victory over one of his greatest business rivals. Suddenly, from beneath the ground, these skeletons began to spring up. Skeletons that people had not seen in years or had thought that had long since passed away. And these skeletons, they told the man that they wanted his fortune and that they would not be taking no for an answer. And ultimately, we don't know quite how the man's story ends just yet. As it stands, the skeletons are nipping at his heels, their bones are clacking away, their spindly fingers could be around your neck next. But for now, we'll just have to wait and see if he can escape. All right. I, hmm. I think this is the story of an NBA player chasing championships. Do you? That's my theory. And the skeletons chasing him... Mm-hmm. Other players who he thought that he had vanquished. Okay. So maybe a player who he had defeated in the finals a couple times, but came back and won a finals after him. Okay. Is this is this man who robs rings and joins the richest team, richest people? Is this the story of Kevin Durant? That is a great guess. I want to wait until we hear from the caveman before I reveal what my story is about. I can't think of his name, but I think I'm white. Okay, well, what do you... Sorry, I don't want to chime in because this this would be bad for me, and I don't want to have to guys have to edit, and I can't think of the guy's name. I think think it was a Ponzi scheme guy. Bernie Madoff? Yeah. Don't worry, this is all staying in. Okay. Uh, I'm thinking of the Ponzi scheme guy. May he rest. But then I lost track when he said we didn't know how his story ended because I thought he died. He is dead. Uh, This is the story... Uh, you know, some people have said he is a man. Others have called him a lad. Because this is the story of the Los Angeles Dodgers. And they how they have gone around plucking the pockets of every team in Major League Baseball. And for a time, it looked as though they were on top of the world. But now, Eddie Rosario's skeleton... <laughs> Has come up from what again some would some would suggest might be a Native American burial ground. Maybe they're trying to move away from that branding the graveyard is, and they're now oh, nipping at their the heels. Gra- I was trying to think of if there was a tie-in to the vast number of sports teams that are insensitively and wrongly named after indigenous peoples. There is, or just that most stadiums are on stolen land. <laughs> also, a great arguably point. all of them. Uh, but that's a perfect way to end the podcast. <laughs> really, really bring up. Did Griffin? Did you like my scary story? I did. Were I you scared? It, I was scared. The skeleton. I I was checking my neck to make sure there were no spindly Eddie Rosario fingers around it. But um, yeah, that was a great story. I think next week will, or maybe not even next week. In a couple of days, we'll be coming at you guys with a full Halloween episode. So be sure to uh, listen to that one with the lights on. It'll be spooky. It'll be scary. Uh, uh, there might be, maybe maybe the man in the cave will have turned out to be a ghost all along. Oh my god, that would be a And twist. will not appear on the episode. <laughs> we'll have called the Ghostbusters to get this guy the hell out of the studio. <laughs> Keep him in a backpack. 
but no, yes, but... that is going to do it for yeah. today's episode of High Floor, Low Ceiling. Stay tuned for that uh, Halloween episode later this week. And thank you to our man in the cave, Clem McConnell. Clem, do you want to tell him where they can yes, find you please. and the Warm I'm Grill? Turn on your microphone now, please. Don't shout and tell us about uh, your lovely podcast, Clem. Yeah, I'm uh, one third of the uh, hosts of a, a podcast called The Warm Grill. We exclusively talk about baseball and then mostly just talk about, um, just kind of dissect uh, Bren J's hot, 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 hot takes. I know we're called The Warm Grill and we usually only like to do warm takes, but um, yeah, like I said, one third of us uh, just uh, says whatever they feel like saying, borderline no filter. <laughs> And Clem, where can the people find you on Twitter on your quest for 200 followers? Oh, hashtag road to 200. You can help me support um, oh, <laughs> help me support myself by uh, fulfilling that goal at uh, Clem McConnell. Uh, no vowels, except for the first E. Let me just spell it out for and you. And an O. C-L-E, no. Okay, go ahead. C-L-E-M-C-C-N-N-L-L. I did not know that. Easy to find Twitter. One of my favorite Twitter follows. I can't think of many people funnier on Twitter than Clem, so definitely go out there, give him a follow, listen to The Warm Grill if you like what he brought from the cave today. It's a great podcast. Uh, yeah, thank you guys so much for listening. We'll be well, back. Hold, uh, hold on. Now. Oh, oh. Well, I just I, I wanted to say that both you and I have something to plug. Griffin, I believe that you have uh, deserted me. I... And Branched sort of out. stabbed me in the back. But tell us about, I received tell us about an what you got going I couldn't on. refuse. Oh. Um, no, with a with my friend Justine Jones, who is a former U Sports athlete up here in Canada, we have started the official Ontario University Athletics podcast, OUA In Conversation. Every week we sit down with an OUA athlete, uh, get to tell their stories. It's a great way to get to know uh, some of these athletes go around representing your university. So if you're in Ontario, definitely check it out. But if you're not, check it out anyway. It's a great time. We get to have some great chats with some really talented athletes who normally wouldn't get the coverage they deserve. So please check it out anywhere you get your podcast. OUA in conversation. Yes, a, a lovely podcast. I mean, I only say that you betrayed me because I'm so jealous that you get to do a podcast with Justine while I'm stuck with you. Uh, but I also uh, have a little bit of stuff going on. Uh, I am working right now at Raptors Republic. I am producing some videos for them. So if you want to check out that YouTube channel, uh, specifically watch the video about Delano Banton. That'll uh, that'll really boost my profile in the company. That's mostly a joke, but but check out that YouTube channel. There's going to be more stuff coming to it uh, produced by myself and uh, a friend of the show, Don Yang. So look forward to that. You can follow Griffin at Griffin Porter 97 G R I F I N P O R T E R 97 and you can follow me at C H O W S O N J A N C House and Jan. So until next time, stay high and stay low. That's something. That sounds like we're encouraging people to do drugs. It's legal. Not all drugs. Hashtag. Don't well, do drugs. Yeah, don't like I mean a certain percentage of our listeners. One sec. Got to find out. <laughs> yeah, Griffin Vamp. Yeah, I, Griffin is obsessed with the statistics of the listenership of the of high floor low ceiling. So, actually, if you are listening to the podcast, then you should definitely tweet at Griffin. Uh, yeah, if let you me are know. if you are the person from Germany who has been listening, please tweet at Griffin. He is desperate to know. Uh, but Griffin, what percentage of our listenership 17% of our listeners are under 17, Chris. We cannot be telling people to stay high. Yeah, so we don't condone that. I'm sorry I almost said the F word earlier. 
but and don't do anything wrong and just listen to your parents. Yeah. Unless the parents are bad. No, Clint. Huh? <laughs> Stupid. Well, not all authorities <laughs> worthy of respect. All right, West Coast Clem with his hippie messaging. <laughs> okay, we will see you next time. Have Thanks a great for day. listening. Bye.